Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. So we won Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Finally, welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Oh, Colby, it is great to be back with you, sir. It is great to be here. It was a great Saturday in Stillwater. Um, I know people have been waiting on this. We've been waiting to do it. Schedules didn't link up yesterday, but man, I am ready to talk some Bedlam. That was, it was an emotional day, honestly, Carson, in that stadium. It was elation. It was fear. It was um, excitement. It, it was everything. We were all over the map in the stands, and uh, I'm sure we'll get to all of it. But yeah, it was it was an unbelievable day, and it's been an unbelievable few days, just kind of basking in the in the in the glow of that victory. Yeah, it's been really a remarkable weekend and really a remarkable turnaround of this season that it really has been. I do want to apologize to our listeners. I was out of pocket. I committed to go to a trip down to Broken Bow, Beavers Bend, literally three or four months ago, <laughs> I'd kind of forgotten about it. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know when we scheduled, I think it got moved because I, w- I might've put up a, an argument it being bedlam weekend, but fortunately I was with all OSU grads. We watched the game down there. Uh, there were some sooner fans nearby. So we were, we were sure to holler a little louder as the game progressed, but uh, apologies. I had way too much to do when I got back from, from the lake late, late yesterday. So apologies for the delay, but Colby, you were there. Um, we, we're gonna we have so much to get into, but but first, I just wanted to ask you. Like, you know, I tweeted on Friday, it's going to be an absolute hornet's nest at Boone Pickens Stadium. The atmosphere, and and before you before you tell me what it was like there on Saturday, I thought it was really cool how you know Dusty Dvorak was on the call, and throughout all the talk in the lead up, he did several interviews. He was on the Oklahoma Breakdown podcast, and he has said that, and it's right. OSU has become one of the best home field advantages in the country. He goes, it's the, he goes, he said it was the toughest place he's played maybe except for Kyle field at A&M back when A&M was pretty good back in 2002, but make no mistake. OSU has built a remarkable home field advantage. It's unique with the fans being so close to the field. And I thought, I thought Colby there, the, the crowd, I thought really affected Oklahoma. They said as much in the post game. What was it like being there? It was unlike almost anything I've ever experienced. It it was, first of all, we got into the stadium about 30 minutes before kick. That's about 25 minutes before we usually roll in, and we weren't the only ones. At 25 minutes to go, I would guess there were less than 1,000 empty seats. 25 minutes prior to kick, um, Ollie Gordon is going into the tunnel. He and Jaden Nixon did a dance out in the end zone. Him and Rashad Owens did their little handshake back-to-back. Charlie's Angels holster him. And then Ollie Gordon starts walking up the tunnel, Carson, and he takes his helmet off. And he's got his helmet, and he's holding it. And he starts pumping up the crowd. And he's bending down, and he's, like, screaming at the ground. And everybody's going crazy. They're chanting his name as he goes up the tunnel. There's, like, 18 minutes until kickoff at this point. This place is already just a madhouse. I went back and I actually watched the fourth quarter of the game Saturday night whenever I got home on TV just to see the fourth quarter. We were just yelling. It was so emotional. It was so insane. I'm like, I had to have missed things. So I went back and watched it on TV. It did not do justice 
to the noise in that place. The home field advantage that Oklahoma State has built on a regular week, right? When, when, when there's just a normal college football game and teams come in, it's a hard place to play. You've got the paddle people. Everyone is so close, packed in there. The West End Zone bowled in now. There, there have been almost no games in recent memory when the thing isn't just pretty packed out. And the home field advantage is unbelievable on a normal week. Saturday was anything but normal. It was the furthest thing that you'll ever experience from normal. It was 60,000 people who cared more deeply than they have ever cared about the result of a game in that stadium. And it was 60,000 people who understood that they could have an impact on the outcome. It, it was it was truly incredible. It, it was an amazing thing to be a part of. It's something that I will remember forever. Um, and, and I'll say this too, Carson. I have been to uh, every Bedlam game in Stillwater since I was probably five years old, mid-90s, mid mid-late 90s. And that is the least amount of crimson I have ever seen in that stadium for a Bedlam game. If any Oklahoma State fans sold their tickets, I saw some posts last week. People were saying, we'll only sell to Oklahoma State fans. And they were true to that because that stadium, I mean, I was talking to some buddies before the game. They were like, how much, how many of you fans do you think there'll be? And I'm like, I don't know, 10, 15, 20%. depends how many people sold their tickets. That's usually about what it is. I mean, that stadium was 3% OU. It, it was just absolutely packed with orange. It, it was truly one of the most incredible things I've ever been a part of. Yeah, the the corners that are closest to Boone Pickens usually have a substantial amount of crimson. And they can usually be heard, you know, during Bedlam as there's wild swings throughout the game. So it was less so than normal. Pardon me. Yes, it was absolutely less so than normal. Even down where we sit in the West End Zone, I'm used to at Bedlam. Normally, there are OU fans around us. There were no OU fans around us. There was one guy up about 15 rows behind us who actually nearly got tossed out in the first quarter by the police. Uh, if you want to get into that story, he was wearing an OU hoodie. But other than that, it was a whole lot of orange in the West End Zone. It was a whole lot of orange everywhere. Yeah, it, it looked great on TV. And so let's let's get into the game, Colby. I mean, it's clear as day. Everyone was talking about it all week. It, it's blatantly obvious that if you're Oklahoma coming into this game – you are going to load the box and you're going to say, okay, Alan Bowman, you've had a few nice weeks. You weren't the quarterback to start the year. If we're going to go down, you better beat us. And that's exactly what OU did to start the game and really throughout. And I thought once again, for the fifth straight week, Casey Dunn put together a masterpiece of an opening drive. I mean, there's been so many years where in this game, that Oklahoma State would just kind of do what they normally do, even though OU is countering it. And that wasn't the case this game. The fact that they started the game passing to set up the run was absolutely perfect. And we're going to give plenty of kudos to Alan Bowman, Rashad Owens, and everyone else, Colby, but I thought the way they started this game saying, okay, you think, you think we're not good enough throwing the ball? Watch this. And they just marched right down the field, made a huge statement on the opening drive. I thought the, the turnaround of this season, we're going to get into it with Mike Gundy, Ollie Gordon, all those things, but the turnaround Casey Dunn's made, realizing what personnel he has and what he needs to do best, has been sensational. And I thought he was sensational on the first drive. 
Yeah, he was. It's unbelievable um, just how far we've come with this offense, with the play calling, with the game plans, everything. Whatever they've done, whatever Mike Gundy said in that bye week to, to get things changed, it worked. And clearly what they're doing now just – it just works better in Casey Dunn's brain. I, I I don't know what they were doing before that it just, he couldn't quite piece it all together in the exact right way, but that's exactly what he's doing now. And that first drive, they come out airing it out. Most of the night, Carson, you could see it in the stadium. Oklahoma had eight guys on defense who had one job. Don't let zero get loose. I mean, they had eight guys devoted to Ollie Gordon. He still went for more than a buck 30, but they did a good job. Pretty much kept him in check. Uh, and I think a little less than four yards a carry, but that put so much pressure on Ollie Bowman, Ollie Bowman, on Allen Bowman um, and your receiving core. And they all stepped up. Casey Dunn's plan was brilliant. Um, the Rashad Owens catch on the first drive where he skied, batted it down with one hand and then brought it in for a first down. Uh, that catch was huge. That might've been intercepted if he doesn't get up there and make that play. He's a big receiver at six foot two, 220. Uh, Brennan Presley on the third down, Alan Bowman with the first third down throw of the game. I think that was so important to get off to a good start. I talked last week about the first quarter and about how Oklahoma State is a team that needs to play from ahead because they are a running football team and you don't want to put all the pressure on your quarterback to have to lead comeback drives time after time. And Oklahoma State got it done early in the first quarter. Um, and while we're, while we're giving Casey Dunn his flowers, I mean, the name of the game to me with play calling is what do, you, what do they think you're going to do? Do the opposite. And I promise there was nobody on planet Earth who thought that Alan Bowman was going to take a snap at the start of the second quarter and run it right up the middle from the 13-yard line and into the end zone for a touchdown. That was a brilliant design. It was a brilliant time to call it because they were already worried about Ollie. He already had a touchdown run from down just outside the red zone. They were worried about Rashad Owens, who started the game hot. Brendan Presley already looked good. And he said, nope, Alan Bowman right up the middle, touchdown. It was, it was absolute brilliance from Casey Dunn. He deserves all the credit uh, that is going his way. It, it wasn't a perfect game, but it was near a perfect start for Oklahoma State. It really was. You like the nickname Vanilla Vic that's going around for, for Bowman? <laughs> Vanilla he, Vic, He yeah. juked that uh, dude. He, he, did the, he did the stutter step to the right, cut back left, and left the dude on his knees. So, yeah. I, I don't think OU saw that coming. Yeah, no, it was a good run. Not only that, he was patient. He waited for his block to get out in front of him as soon as the offensive lineman was on the linebacker. Then he cut, and that's when he juked the guy and got into the end zone. Yeah, it was impressive. Yeah, and I th I think that's really, to me, I, I don't know if we need to go drive by drive here. I, I do want to talk about Alan Bowman. I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I thought Alan Bowman – was capable of throwing for 300 yards and just being the best quarterback on the field against Oklahoma when the season began. But I'm not also going to shortchange myself and say that I didn't think he was capable. I mean, this guy is used to throwing it 40 times a game in his career at Texas Tech. The way he played is really one of the better Bedlam quarterback performances I can remember. Doesn't have a touchdown pass, but he seemingly made every right decision including the throwaways. You know, he can drive you crazy with the throwaways, but in the, sometimes they seem overly cautious, but they weren't interceptions. He didn't kill you. And he made tons of really good timing throws, just one after another after another. And those don't, those don't get your jaw on the floor like a 70-yard bomb over the top. But those timing throws are very difficult. Some of those comeback routes are very difficult to time correctly. He had a really good one to Leon Johnson uh, throughout the game. 
I just thought Alan Bowman repaid the faith that Mike Gundy showed in him by making him the starting quarterback. This is this is who should have been the quarterback from day one. We all know that. But this, to me, Colby, was not only one of the better Bedlam performances we've seen from a quarterback, it's all of a sudden becoming a conversation. Is he going to be first-team All-Big 12 quarterback if they win the Big 12? That that That's becoming a conversation, and that's a testament to how good he's really been lately. Yeah, with Gabriel falling off the last couple of weeks, Quinn Ewers with the injury, he absolutely could be. Uh, and I think that he has a strong case. And I really – I wonder if Alan Bowman realizes what he did – on Saturday. I mean, he's, he's from Grapevine, Texas. He goes to Lubbock. He goes to, he goes to Ann Arbor and now he's in Stillwater. He's from Grapevine. He's, he's close, but I don't know if he truly realizes what he did on Saturday and the impact that that performance and them coming down with that victory has on this fan base, this university, this program. I mean, does he realize like, he can come back in 50 years. When he's 75 years old, he can come back and he can bring his grandkids to Boom Pickin Stadium and they'll put him up on the Jumbotron and they'll announce him and they'll say, Cowboy Faithful, we want to welcome back your 2023 Bedlam winning quarterback, the last Big 12 Bedlam ever played in this stadium, Alan Bowman. And 60,000 people are going to stand up and clap their hands and cheer for this man for what he did Saturday. I, I really don't know if he understands how big that performance was um, and, and what that meant for this program and for his legacy. He took no sacks. He threw no interceptions. That is the name of the game. That is a Gundy quarterback. If I've ever seen one, take no sacks, throw no picks. Yeah. Maybe the throwaways are a little bit frustrating. Even with the throwaways, he only had 14 incompletions the entire game. He was 28 of 42, 67% through the air. And I bet half of his incompletions were on the throwaways. Um, he had more of an impact on the ground than Dylan Gabriel, just on the one run. And it was a great run to get in the end zone. Seven instead of three there on that on that drive is so, so big and so key. Um, I just, I, I really don't know if he realizes how big that was. And Carson, while we're on Bowman, maybe the play of the game, I don't know what it looked like on TV. When Ollie Gordon threw the interception. I was going to bring it up. (laughs) When Ollie Gordon threw the interception on the trick play and Billy Bowman, OU's Bowman, starts and he cuts back to the left sideline on the north side of the stadium there. I looked at my dad and I said, he's going to go. The only guy between Billy Bowman and the end zone was Alan Bowman. Billy Bowman had other Sooners out there with him. Alan Bowman stayed in his position. He got down in a stance, and he slowly and steadily just forced him to the sideline, and then he ran him out. It it was maybe the play of the game. Oklahoma could have gone up 28 to 17 in that moment if Alan Bowman doesn't force him out of bounds. I just, I cannot say enough about the effort and the performance from Alan Bowman on Saturday. Um, I, I don't know if he truly realizes that he is now a legend forever in Oklahoma State football history, and, and good for him. He deserves it. I think he does, and and here's why. He shows up to post game wearing a Josh Fields game-worn jersey, and he wore, he wore a Bob Fenimore jersey earlier this year. I think he's really bought into the history of this program. He's obviously as much film work as he probably does for week to week. I think he's done his research on this program and what what this game means to the fan base. And you know, Josh Fields famously two and zero against Oklahoma. Not hardly any quarterbacks. He might be the only quarterback that can say that, unless you go back to like the forties. Um, so that I think he does have an appreciation, and and I think he knows just exactly what 
this win means not only for his career, but also for everyone that was watching that, that cares about Oklahoma State. And, and you're so right. The I thought he was gone. Uh, it's kind of reminiscent to the 2021 Bedlam when Caleb Williams kind of broke free and looked like he was going to score. Uh, very, very similar. And we can talk about Mike Gundy's aggressive approach with with letting that play go on. But in, 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 we're going to talk a lot about penalties, referees, OU, OSU. The fact of the matter is this. OSU had the best quarterback on the field. It was Alan Bowman. And then we can get into what, what else went right for Oklahoma State and what else they were better at. But full stop, they had the better quarterback on Saturday. And that's a testament to him and a testament to the coaches for getting him ready. And I will say, Colby, Oklahoma's better defensively than I thought. I knew they were better, which that that's not a very high bar based on what they've been under Lincoln Riley. But they were better than I thought defensively. I thought they did a very, very good job on Ollie Gordon in terms of running between the tackles. And so a lot of it was on Alan Bowman. And I think the reason you saw a lot of the throwaways, really after the first quarter, Colby, they didn't do a whole lot offensively, Oklahoma State. And I think the reason for that is, you know, Casey Dunn's done a magnificent job with running, you know, more max protect, five, six, even sometimes seven blockers there in front of Bowman. And that's kept him clean. They obviously lead the Big 12 and sacks given up. But I think you started to see, and, and they run a lot of formations, but really run a lot of the same route concepts, which I brought up last week. And I think Oklahoma knew what was coming after the first onslaught they had in that first quarter. And so I think you really have to give credit, even though the coverage got really tight there late in the game, Bowman and Dunn and company and, and Gundy really figured out, okay, they figured out some of our route concepts here. But what happened late in the game? Uh, they started getting Rashad Owens open even more. They got Brennan Presley involved, who was pretty – OU really did a decent job against the two main threats, Al, uh, Ollie Gordon and Brennan Presley. And I think, again, that comes down to decision-making at the quarterback spot. And his was better than Dylan Gabriel's. Dylan Gabriel underthrew so many deep balls that allowed Oklahoma State defensive backs to get to them. It wasn't even funny. Dylan Gabriel has not been a threat throwing the football down the field. And Alan Bowman was able to make some deep, some, some great completions to his receivers. And again, we can talk about everything that went on in this game, but quarterback battle, Alan Bowman won it. No, he absolutely did. I, I can't remember. Maybe it was halftime, early third quarter. Um, we're talking there in the stands. Me, my dad, Scott Tyner sits right behind us. I didn't realize that until I saw him come across my Twitter feed today. I didn't know who he was, but we've talked the last couple of home games. Their season tickets are right behind ours. He was a punter for Oklahoma State in the 90s, um, and we're just standing there talking football, and I told him, I said, it's on Bowman. I, I said, they're doing a good job against Ali, and that's all they're concerned about. They're gonna. They're saying if anybody's going to beat us, it's going to be Alan Bowman. It's not going to be Ollie Gordon, and he, he was really impressive. Uh, Gabriel... I thought Gabriel was pretty average in that game on Saturday. He had a fumble early in the game that very fortunately for him bounced right back up into his chest. That one could have gone either way. He had the exchange on the fumble that they lost with the running back. I, I don't know if it was a design snap to the running back or if it was a bad snap. And then they kind of fumble it between each other and it goes awry. Opening the third quarter, they had a chance to drive down and take the lead. He throws a punt down the middle of the field that Dylan Smith, true freshman, who was unbelievable on Saturday, gets underneath, tips to himself, and catches. I, I thought Dylan Gabriel was really average, had no impact in the running game, and Alan Bowman was anything but average. I, I know for some reason people just they want to talk about the throwaways, 
I, I don't care about the throwaways. You know what throwaways aren't? They're not interceptions. They're not sacks. They're not mistakes. They don't kill you. They allow you to exceed everywhere else. They allow you to live to see the next down. And that was what Alan Bowman did just incredibly well on Saturday. But it wasn't just that. Uh, I mean, the early fourth down slant to Brennan Presley, that's a big play in that game. The, the throw up the sideline, the right sideline to Rashad Owens late in that game, that's a big, big play. He just, time and time again, um, I, I think that there was one throw that he missed where I was really like, oh, Allen. Uh, and it was right after the Gabriel fumble that the crowd caused. Uh, Oklahoma State had just retaken the lead on the two-yard Ollie Gordon touchdown run where he struck the Heisman pose in the end zone. And then on the first play of the next drive, crowd goes nuts. It was as loud as I have ever heard it in there. TV did it no justice. Dylan Gabriel couldn't hear himself think. The, the, the Oklahoma Sooner center couldn't hear himself think. He snapped the ball off Dylan Gabriel's shins, and Oklahoma State recovers. On the ensuing third down, Oklahoma State on third and seven is trying to get Leon Johnson on a corner route in the back of the end zone, and Alan Bowman had him, and he missed him. And that would have put Oklahoma State up 31-21 to 21 with about, I think, seven minutes uh, or something like that left. He missed that one, but other than that, I can't think of just a, a really errant uh, bad miss from Alan Bowman that, that could have proved costly. He was he threw the ball 42 times, and I've got one complaint, um, and it wasn't a turnover. I can live with that. Yeah, no, he was he was great, very deserving uh, for all the plaudits he's getting. And I, I think one of my overall opinions I wanted to give on on this podcast is, I thought this win from Oklahoma State really showed you the strength of their program versus Oklahoma's as it stands right now. Because let's face facts here. I said it coming into this game. Oklahoma doesn't have the playmakers they used to have, particularly at the running back position and also at the wide receiver. Drake Stoops is a good football player. I said when he got recruited to OU as a walk-on, I said that kid's going to play as a freshman because I covered him in high school. He, he has. I thought he was unbelievable at getting wide open throughout the game. But he's not going to beat you for a 70, 80-yard touchdown. He's just not. Gavin Sawchuk had the run at the beginning of the game. Uh, good for him. He was a non-factor after that. OU is not the same. O I said this last week. They're not the OU that has been beating Mike Gundy every year. Uh, there's not. There's. There's no one on that defense or on that offense that scares you. And you juxtapose that with Oklahoma State. Who was without four of their top six wide receivers? I don't hear anyone talking about this. Without four of their top six receivers, you don't hear Mike Gundy complaining about it. But Carson, Danny Stutzman was out. But Carson, Danny Stutzman was out. And they didn't miss him at all. Kip Lewis played. Kip Lewis was the best player on on the de on either team's defense. I respect he, Kip. I take it back. I respect Kip. He earned it. He was awesome, and he's a true freshman. He was sensational. They didn't miss Danny Stutzman that much. Sorry. And so Oklahoma State's without four of their top six wide receivers. And this just shows you the strength of this program under Mike Gundy. Rashad Owens sticks it out and literally is making a case for first-team All-Big 12 wide receiver. I mean, 10 catches, all of them contested, all of them tough, 136 yards. Brennan Presley gets going late. And then Leon Johnson the third, who I was critical of that they recruited a kid from D3. Bravo, Mike Gundy. Bravo, Casey Dunn. I was wrong. This kid decides to give up an extra year of eligibility to play in Bedlam and help his team potentially win a Big 12 championship. This is the difference between the two teams in this game. Oh, you had guys out. 
OSU had guys out. OSU had guys step up. Nick Anderson has to play more now that Andrew Anthony's out for Oklahoma. Huge drop. Massive. 67-yard pass drop. So before we even get into any more discussion about referees and Big 12 conspiracy theories, here's what happened. OSU had players step up and make plays. OU had guys wilt under the moment. Nick Anderson wilted. I mean, uh, Javante Barnes wilted. That fumble was hilarious trying to hand it back to, at that point, you just, and this is where discipline from the head coach comes into play. That you, you start bobbling the snap, you eat it. You fall down. You, you take the ball, you secure it, you go to the ground. You don't try to hand it to the quarterback. I, I said live in the moment, Carson. I said, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. That's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I couldn't believe that he was trying to hand it back to Gabriel with four Cowboys closing in on him. And, and I'll get more into the discipline as we go. But first and foremost, this was a program who is disciplined and who is deep. And that's the team that won the game. Yeah, I, I do. Like you said, I want to give Drake Stoops his flowers. I think he's a, a great player. I, th I think he's going to play on Sundays. I really do. I think he'll make a great slot receiver in the NFL. But Oklahoma State had more guys who were ready on Saturday for that moment than Oklahoma did. And I want to talk about Rashad Owens. The amount of respect I have for Rashad Owens, I pulled it all up just, just to make sure I remembered exactly what his journey has been at Oklahoma State. He shows up in 2020. That's his first season there. Obviously, it's a weird year. He played in four games that year. Two catches for 19 yards as a true, uh, a true freshman. So he didn't burn his red shirt. So redshirt freshman in 2021, he's a receiver in 2021 as a redshirt freshman, 17 catches, 257 yards, one touchdown. It's his entire year. 2022, he's a redshirt sophomore. They asked him to move to cowboy back. They asked him to put on weight and move to cowboy back. The guy that you just saw leaping, making crazy athletic catches on Saturday, cowboy back in 2022. On the season, Carson, he had six catches for 85 yards. You know what else he had in the stat sheet? Three tackles on special teams. That's what Rashad Owens was doing last year. Does he hop in the portal? No, he does not. He comes back for his redshirt junior season. He still doesn't get the nod as a starter. There are still other guys above him on the depth chart, and he keeps putting in the work. You know how I know that he kept putting in the work? Because when he got his opportunity, he was ready and he shined. In September, when other guys were healthy, he wasn't playing much. He had four catches for 37 yards and a touchdown. That was his September. Since then, five for 75 against Kansas State, nine for 112 against Kansas, six for 40 at West Virginia, three for 45 against Cincinnati, and then 10 for 136 against Oklahoma. And like you said, so many of those were contested, difficult catches that he made. Oklahoma State needed the fast start. Rashad Owens had five catches in the first six minutes of the game, including the Bowman overthrow over the middle of the field that he batted out of the air and somehow brought in for a first down. I, I cannot express the amount of respect I have for Rashad Owens. Um, just, I mean, that's a Gundy guy right there, just doing everything that he's asked without seeing any of the tangible results that you can hold in your hands for three plus years. And then when it's his moment, he shines so bright, they didn't even need to turn the lights on at Boone Pickens Stadium. Rashad Owens, um, well done. Well done. I just, I, I can't say enough about Rashad Owens. Uh, he stepped up big time. He was, for me, one of the players of the game, maybe the player of the game for OSU's offense. Um, what'd you make of 
of Ollie Gordon. I mean, he got beat up early. Uh, it was a little scary there at the end of the first half. Looked like he was going to be hurt pretty seriously. He really, I thought, gutted it out. And, again, I do want to give Oklahoma a ton of credit. Uh, their defensive line handled him pretty well. We didn't see those kind of patented Ollie runs up the middle where he makes one juke and he's gone. Uh, I thought they really – I thought OU did a very, very good job against him. He made every he made them, and this is to me how good Ollie Gordon is. <laughs> We're sitting here talking about how OU did such a great job against Ollie Gordon, and I think everyone is. And he had 33 carries, 137 yards, and two touchdowns. 4.2 yards per carry is his lowest in South Alabama. If you look at the final t- tally, and especially Colby, the, the 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 big runs late to kind of seal this win, go go for the go ahead touchdown. Uh, he's making a real case for the Heisman. Um, I, I saw his numbers were posted this week or today, rather. He has better numbers than Derrick Henry did at this point in the year, and that's with him barely playing through three games. Uh, what'd you make of his performance? Yeah, I actually think Oklahoma's, uh, pardon me, Oklahoma State's September could be a case that will help voters for Ollie and the Heisman because they can tangibly point to, wow, this was a really bad team. And then this guy made them a great team. So that could potentially help him in a Heisman race. Again, the energy that he brings, it's energy the crowd feeds off, the the students, it's energy his teammates feed off, hyping up the crowd pregame, the Heisman pose. He knows how to sell himself. He knows how to sell Oklahoma State. He loves Oklahoma State. He could have left at the end of last season, gone somewhere else. He, He didn't. He stayed. Carson, I don't know if you remember this or not. Do you remember... There was a game when Steph Curry was in college at Davidson when the opposing coach just doubled him on every single possession and let his other three defenders defend the other four Davidson players. Do you remember that? I don't. Okay. You you look it up. If you're listening to this, look it up. He put two guys on Steph Curry on every possession. He said, I'm going to let the other four guys beat me. That is essentially what Oklahoma did on Saturday. They used their entire defense to stop Ollie Gordon. And he went for 33, 137, and two touchdowns. He had an 18-yard catch in that game, 155 all-purpose yards. Again, it wasn't 271. It wasn't 282. But when you're playing in Oklahoma, who is winning a a good chunk of the time at the line of scrimmage on defense, and everyone is keyed in on you, everyone's job is to stop you. That is so much – no threat of a quarterback run game. That is so much different when games, when you go out there and you have room to operate and you've got space. It was not that on Saturday. Everything that he got was hard. Every hit that he took added up. I listened to the game back on the radio broadcast today. They posted it on their Cowboy Insider podcast feed, and I listened to the game back. And Dave Hunziker in the third quarter was like, guys, I'm not sure if Ollie Gordon's right. I I think he's... He's, he's starting to look a little a little tired. He's had a bunch of carries throughout October, and he's had a bunch of carries already in this game. We were talking about the same thing in the stands. We're like, man, Ollie took that hit at the end of the first half. I, I'm not sure that he's 100% right. On the very next play after Dave said that, Ollie breaks one up the side for 25, 30 yards, and Dave's like, well, there he goes, making me look like an idiot. It just, he's unbelievable. Everything was so hard on Saturday, and he still had more than 150 all-purpose with everyone keying in on him all game, He's unbelievable. I just, um, that performance on Saturday, it was as good as the 271 the week before, and it was as good as the 282 the week prior. It was a better opponent. Um, it was a well-coached defense who knew where to be, who knew when to be there, and he still did what he needed to do. 
The touchdown run from outside the 20 on the first drive of the game, that's huge. Getting seven right off the bat to open it up is big time. The two runs late in the game that put Oklahoma State ahead, The the I think it was about a 13-yard run down to the two-yard line, and then after the pass interference in the end zone, he punches it in. He's just – he's unbelievable, Carson. He's a superstar. He's – Special, and I do think the Heisman buzz will only increase from here. Obviously, she needs to keep winning and all those things, but to overcome, you know, the 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 I think like a thigh bruise, what he was dealing with there, to overcome that, to punch that in late, that was just really a crowning achievement on what's become just one of the more remarkable stretches I can remember from an OSU running back. And I was kind of worried coming into this game. I I always remember Colby. You you may not remember, but do you remember the twenty ten? Bedlam game, Dana Holgerson, Kendall Hunter, Brandon Whedon. Brent Venables made a very, very interesting and really turned out to be brilliant coaching decision. He ran what's called, I believe it was like a 5-2 defense with multiple defensive linemen. And he basically said, I'm going to stop Kendall Hunter because he knew that was really kind of the bread and butter of the, the 2010 offense before Blackman really just went absolutely banana land in 2011 as well. And I I kind of expected Ollie to be slowed down, but I thought the way he finished that game really was was a, was a huge difference. So that that's very well said. Yeah, I do um, remember the 2010 Bedlam. That was great uh, from Brett Venables, and he had the same plan uh, on Saturday. It wasn't the 5-2. They weren't running the, the bare front to stop Ollie. But, I mean, we said after a couple of drives sitting up there in the stands, like, my God, they're just not going to let him beat them. They're not going to let him get going. And he got going anyway. And, and yeah, it took him 33 carries. But you know what he did on every single one of those 33 carries? He made it just a little bit more uncomfortable for them to tackle him and to tackle everybody else. And he created space for Rashad Owens and Brennan Presley and Leon Johnson to go to work. Um, he, he's the, he's the, the key that makes it all go. Yeah, the, the Steph Curry effect. I, I really like that, that comparison. Um, would you make a uh, – again, OSU's defense – Still doesn't really get a whole – I haven't heard a whole lot of credit given to them um, when talking about OSU's defense. You know, we everyone's talking about the turnovers, which, again, well, I'll get into that a little later. But OSU's secondary, they're young, but, man, they're talented. I thought they tackled so well. And this is another reason OU didn't win the game. They are such a dink-and-dunk offense. And, look, they, they've been ranked in the top 15-ish – in all the metrics, efficiency, total, like all those stuff. But since they've got the Big 12 play, they're not. They're like middle of the pack. And I think a reason for that is they don't have much of a deep threat. So they throw a lot of stuff at or around the line of scrimmage, which puts a ton of stress on your corners, your DBs to make tackles. I thought they tackled so well. I thought OU's receivers held at every opportunity they could get. And they fought through those and made tackles time after time after time. They gave up a lot of third and longs, Colby, but I, I could not have been more impressed with that back end of the defense, the way they tackled. Yeah, on Oklahoma's two touchdown drives that were not the 60-whatever-yard uh, touchdown run from Sawchuck on that first drive, Oklahoma State gave up a third and 12 and a third and 13 on those other two touchdown drives. And those hurt. Those hurt big time at those moments in the game. But Oklahoma State was really good defensively Saturday night. That was a big one for Brian Nardo. There was a, a stretch in that second half after Oklahoma goes up 21 to 17, where Oklahoma State comes down fourth and less than a yard. You give it to Ollie, boom, he gets stopped. You come down the next drive, fourth and less than one, you give it to Ollie, boom, he gets stopped. The next drive, Ollie turns, 
has Leon Johnson wide open, throws it 18 yards behind him. It gets intercepted. It gets intercepted. Oklahoma starting from their own 45-yard line. Boom, another stop from the defense. And just the, the team effort defensively, like you said, with the tackling, and then the individual plays that were made throughout the game. At the very end of the game, how about two major iconic plays from a 19-year-old? Dylan Smith is out there. Cam Smith's little brother. Great recruiting job getting both of those guys in. They're both making plays in the secondary. Dylan Smith has the interception right after the half. And then on the final play of the game, everyone in the stadium knew that it was going to Drake Stoops. Everybody. That's who I was watching as soon as the ball was snapped. And I watched it again on TV. The break that Dylan Smith, first of all, the fact that you've got your true freshman guarding the guy that everybody knows the ball is going to, that's big time. And the break that he got on that play was so fast. It wouldn't have mattered if Drake Stoops caught it cleanly in stride and tried to put a move on him. He was guarding the sticks. He knew where he needed to be, and he was there. That's a true freshman. That's incredible instinct and incredible coaching and incredible execution. Xavier Benson was everywhere. He went down with an injury in the first half, popped back up. They said on the radio broadcast he had gotten poked in the eye. Thank God that's all it was because he was unbelievable. He had the neck roll working. He jumped on that first fumble. He was all over the field. Nick Martin and Trey Rucker, they were asked to do a lot in terms of tackling guys in space, and they did time after time after time. Before the uh, third and 12, where the pass interference wasn't called in the corner of the end zone, Colin Oliver comes around the edge on the first down on that series. He, he puts the initial pressure on Gabriel. Goodlaw cleans it up. It was just time after time. Cam Smith coming across the middle on that final drive, getting the big stop on second and 10. Uh, Corey Black and DJ McKinney played well. Kendall Daniels was doing Kendall Daniels things all night. These are just names after names after names of guys who came up big all night long. There were, uh, again, you had the one big play early in the game when Nick Martin went under a block. He should have gone over. You know, you're, you're gassed up. You, you miss a gap. That happens. You had the third and 12 and the third and drive, third and 13 on the two touchdown drives. Aside from that, man, this defense was absolute nails for three and a half hours. Um, mad respect to Brian Nardo for getting all these guys to buy in. The veterans, the kids, all of them. They, they were unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, Nardo, to me, you know, I was high on him to begin the year. I clearly was upset with all the busts, as everyone was watching OSU football. But I think this is proving to be a a master hire here, a brilliant hire from, from Mike Gundy. I mean, he... He was quoted as saying, you know, I pride myself on turnovers. Uh, he was upset they weren't getting as many early in the year. I think you're really starting to see what he envisions this defense being, and that is a bunch of athletic ball hawks that just seemingly, when the ball is in the air, there's just black jerseys everywhere. Uh, I think Dylan Gabriel, like he, I think Gabriel even saw on his interception the safety and just thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go make a play happen because, you know, they get beat a lot deep. And I, I think that was you know, a fatal throw from him. And I, I just think that this three, three, five defense, and I've said this in prior podcasts, like it just suits the talent that OSU typically gets, you know, they're never going to get four stud five-star defensive tackles, but what you have is a bunch of rangy linebackers, secondary guys, and some good guys up front. They're disruptive. I mean, they had more tackles for loss in Oklahoma and Oklahoma at one point was leading the country in tackles for loss. I thought they were, they were really, really, really good. And sure, they got they got some help from some turnovers from Oklahoma on the fumbles, but I don't think the defense is getting enough credit. I thought they were they were really, really good. 
Oklahoma was fortunate to only have three turnovers. Carson, you know how many times Oklahoma put the ball on the ground? Four. You know how many times Oklahoma State put the ball on the ground? Zero. Again, that's poise. It is poise in the biggest game, in the biggest moment that trickles down from your coach, from your veterans, to your young guys. Oklahoma State didn't make the mistakes. And again, that's the home field advantage. Driving to Stillwater on Saturday, Carson, all the way up there. I listened to all the I listened to all the radio stations. I was flipping back and forth, franchise, sports animal, Oklahoma State pregame show. I was all over listening to them all. And Everybody I heard on the franchise and the sports animal, I probably heard six or seven people pick the game. Every last one of them picked OU. Every last one, and not one of them talked about the crowd. Not a single one. They're like, well, you know, if turnovers happen, not a single one of them talked about the crowd. Oklahoma State was poised. Oklahoma had to deal with an incredibly hostile environment, and they they faded. Carson, they made the mistakes. They dropped a punt that they were lucky to fall on. Gabriel drops one in the pocket that he was lucky to fall on. They had another couple fumbles that bounced Oklahoma State's way. They recovered two of theirs. We recovered two of theirs. We didn't put it on the ground a single time. Um, They made the mistakes, and we didn't. Oklahoma State showed the poise. And and Carson, how often has it been the other way in this game? I I think, too, and I want to get your thoughts on this from a a little bit of a historical context here, listening to the post game on Saturday on the way home, Dion Amade, a uh, friend of mine does a great job on the Oklahoma State broadcast and on the post game. Uh, definitely want to give Dion some flowers. He ha- he made a point in the post game. He said, "You know, Oklahoma State has had some really painful bedlam losses when things were coming down to a couple of key plays in the fourth quarter, and Oklahoma made those couple of key plays. And we know how many times we've seen that over the last 15 years. But in 2021 and in 2023." Oklahoma State was ready to make those plays. You crawl, you walk, you run. Oklahoma State as a program, Mike Gundy as a coach, the talent on the field, the crowd, Oklahoma State, they weren't ready to make those plays over a program like Oklahoma in 2013, in 2010, in 2017. Oklahoma State, everybody wasn't ready for that moment yet. 2021, it changed. The crowd was there. It was unbelievable. The players were poised. They made the big plays in the big moments. Mike Gundy made the right decisions in the big moments. Same thing happened in 2023. Oklahoma State, as a program, I mean, Carson, has Oklahoma State caught Oklahoma? I know the recruiting rankings aren't going to tell you so. I know the budget isn't going to tell you so. Two of the last three were played in Stillwater. That's a hard place to win, but it hasn't ever been a hard place to win for Oklahoma. And two of the last three years, it was played in Stillwater, and we sent them packing both times. Um, it, it's it's a big development for the program, 2021 and 2023, those Bedlam wins in that stadium in front of that crowd. I like Brent Venables. Uh, one of my my first year on in TV, I interviewed him a lot. Really like him. Um, if he was coaching Bedlam throughout these 19 years of Mike Gundy, Mike Gundy would have a winning record. He's the better head coach. And I thought it was totally reflected in the outcome of this game. And so let's, t- I, I'm so glad you brought up the, the drop punt and the dropped uh, fumble that, that Gabriel recovered. We all know the fumbles that they didn't recover, but this has been a trend under Brent Venables. They've lost a ton of close games and they've done it with a ton of self-inflicted errors and the fumbles, the penalties, they're, I think they're two and set. They're, they're, yes, OU is now two and seven in one score games under Brent Venables. How many one score? I've lost count of how many one score games Mike Gundy has won. 
That is why Oklahoma State won this game. That is why. They're the more disciplined team. They don't beat themselves with penalties and stupid turnovers. That is why they won this football game. I am not here to listen to it. And let's just get into it, Colby. I'm not here to listen about any more about this defensive pass interference against Drake Stoops. Was it was it pass interference? Of course it was. Was it a missed call? Of course it was. But it's as if, Colby, people don't accept the fact that there was plenty of time left on the clock, that Oklahoma State could have gone down and scored right after that had they called it. And who's to say they don't snap it off Gabriel's shin again? They've been shooting themselves in the foot all day. We don't know. So if you're going to talk about officials costing Oklahoma this game, you don't understand football. You don't understand the impact that discipline and smart football and clean football matters. Point blank. I'm not here to listen about one particular call in this game. I've got a list of bedlam calls that have gone against Oklahoma State if we want to get into it. But first and foremost, let it be clear as day. OSU won this game because they have the better, they have the better discipline, they have the better head coach, they don't make mistakes, and that's all OU does. Their head coach runs past the hash and gets a penalty. The second straight week, mind you, that Oklahoma, they're a, a coach on their sideline has gotten a penalty. One of their little ball boys, he wasn't really little, he's a big old ball boy, shoves Alan Bowman, gives him the forearm shiver into the padding. That's an undisciplined program right now. And if I'm an OU fan, I have serious questions about Brent Venables' ability to instill discipline into his football team. That's the one thing that he's supposed to bring. That's the one thing that you thought he would correct from Lincoln Riley is discipline and tough-minded football. They're soft and they make mistakes. That's that's why they lost the game, not one particular call in the ballgame. Yeah, I do have thoughts on the P.I., but I can get to that later because I want to talk about the coaches because so many times in this game, Mike Gundy has been just horrendously outcoached, and we've had to sit here and talk about it and try to rationalize it, and it was the exact opposite on Saturday. Mike Gundy coached circles around Brent Venables. First of all, Mike Gundy, I mean, he went for, he went up for it on fourth down starting in the first quarter, and they let Alan Bowman throw it. He, caught, he catches Brennan Presley on the screen. Also, Carson... I, I can't tell you, it didn't end up mattering in the game. It didn't end up mattering, but I was so happy. We all remember, what was it, six, seven years ago, Oklahoma State is playing down in Norman. They get the ball back at the end of the first half. They have a chance to go score, and Mike Gundy just sits on it. Doesn't try to go score. We lost our minds. It was unfathomable. We couldn't believe it. Again, not everybody's perfect. You learn, you get better. Mike Gundy, at the end of the first half, Carson, I almost cried. He called I'm so glad you brought this up. He called a timeout with two seconds left. Oklahoma was headed to the locker room. They were done playing football for the half. Mike Gundy calls a timeout with two seconds from his own 46-yard line to throw that Hail Mary to the end zone. That Hail Mary has about a 1 in 1,000 chance of being completed. But you know what Mike Gundy said? I'm going to try. I'm going to try to score. I'm going to hope that today is, to, is the day that that 1 in 1,000 hits. And it didn't hit, but I love him for calling the timeout and for taking the chance and telling his guys, hey, if we've got a chance to put points on the board, I don't care how small that chance is. We're taking it. I loved that decision at the end of the first half. Let's go to the fourth quarter, shall we? Let's go to the fourth quarter. Hang on, hang on. Let me, go ahead, let me go touch ahead. on that. How many times have I said on this podcast to you and throughout the years I've been on this, you have to try. You have to try. 
Mike Gundy hadn't done that in the past. I thought that I'm so glad you brought this up because another total gaffe from Brent Venables not to call timeout to get the ball back to prevent Oklahoma State from throwing a Hail Mary. That is knowing situational football. That is Mike Gundy understanding the clock situation and noticing what Oklahoma's doing to think of that in the moment. Mike Gundy was sensational in this game. I wanted him to coach it like he normally does and be even be, even be a little more aggressive, which he was. I'm so glad you brought that up. Continue. Yeah, at the end of the first half when that happened and the pass was incomplete, I thought to myself, everyone's going to forget that and no one's going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Uh, let's go to the fourth quarter now because I want to talk about Brett Venables. Brett Venables, Carson, I Googled it. He's 52 years old, but he's a very young head coach. And it showed on Saturday. Mike Gundy has been doing this for two decades. Venables hasn't been doing this for two years. He couldn't control his emotions in that fourth quarter. Yeah, Mike Gundy got into it with the officials in the first half about the interference. They were reviewing it. It was a dead ball situation. It's not the, th- it's not the same thing. Don't let Twitter fool you, fool you. He thought that that was offensive pass interference on Rashad Owens. It was not offensive pass interference on Rashad Owens. The reason OU's corner was on the ground is because OU's corner cut Rashad Owens' route off. Rashad Owens continued to run his route, and he's six foot two, twenty, so the corner fell down. And it was almost a great catch by Rashad Owens on the play as well. So he, he jumps out to the numbers, arguing pass interference. Dude, what are you doing? The flag has already been thrown. How many times, Brent, in your coaching career, have you argued with an official after he's thrown his flag and the call's already been made? The call was already announced. He's out at the numbers. Jumps toward the official out at the numbers to argue it. Cost his team another 15. That's a 30-yard play when Oklahoma State was backed up inside its own 10, and the call was absolutely correct. The corner cut Rashad Owens off on the route. Now, let's go to the Drake Stoops, uh, Dylan Smith meetup in the end zone. Third and 12 is the down there, Carson. You're trailing in this game. We're coming down to the nitty-gritty in the fourth quarter. You need every timeout you can holster in case you need to stop the clock. It's third and 12. You're the head coach. You didn't buy a ticket to this game. You're not a bystander. You're not standing there watching. You've got decisions to make, coach. You have to know what your decision is if the result of a third and 12 from the opponent's 18-yard line is an incomplete pass. Totally reasonable scenario. He didn't know what his decision was going to be. Instead, he was talking to the near line judge about a play that happened in the opposite end zone 60 yards away. He didn't make his decision. The offense wasn't ready. The field goal unit wasn't ready. He had to burn a timeout in a key moment because he wasn't prepared to make the decisions. Again, his emotions got the best of him. Then at the end of the game, Carson, in the stadium live, when Oklahoma is set up for a fourth and five, I couldn't believe they weren't calling timeout. The clock was not stopped. The clock was running. He could have called a timeout with a minute and 27 to go. He could have gotten his team calmed down in a hostile environment where it was incredibly hard to communicate in that moment because the sound was absolutely insane. It was it was head-pounding noise in that stadium. He could have called a timeout, gotten his team calmed down, and gotten a play that he loved on a play that could end his season. And instead, they took 20 seconds to snap the ball. They rolled to the boundary, and they threw a pass two yards short of the sticks. Go ahead, OU fans. Go ahead and blame the refs. If that makes you feel better, if that helps you sleep tonight, go ahead and blame the refs. Your head coach fell flat on his face in the fourth quarter of the biggest game to this point in his head coaching career. That is a big part of the reason why Oklahoma lost the game. That's horrible, horrible coaching. The I couldn't believe they didn't call it. 
you have to call time out there. You have to. It's unfathomable to not call time out there. What is he doing? They couldn't, they couldn't hear each other. They couldn't think. It was so loud. You are doing the players a complete disservice. You have to call time out, regroup, go over it with your offense core on the headset and go, what are we running here? It, it looked like he just kind of froze in the moment. And the penalty he gets, Colby, this is uh, you're so right to bring up his inexperience, and that's certainly proven to be true with that decision at the very end of the game. He's also feeling the pressure. Why else do you run out past the the hash to argue with a with a judge that's already thrown the flag? It's because he's feeling the pressure. He could feel that game slipping away, and he lost. Your head coach cannot. You know, we get on Gundy a lot for being stoic, kind of standing away from the play, but this could. It could go this way, and I'll, I'll gladly take Mike Gunny's demeanor over this because I, I do think you're right. Brent Venables' experience, inexperience is showing, and I think he's feeling the pressure. I, I really do because that is inexcusable not to call a timeout, reset, get to a play you absolutely are certain will at least travel the yard to gain. And they run it – not only that, Colby, they run it to the short side of the field, like you said. Like, not only is the route not far enough, he has one option – and he's running to the short side of the field, and it's just and it's short of the sticks. Like that, that is why OU lost. They had the ball to go win the game, and that's what they chose to do. That's how they chose to manage the game. They deserve thoroughly to lose the game on their own merit, not the officials. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you want to circle back to the PI because I've got some thoughts on the PI. Let's do it. What are your thoughts on this PI that? We can both agree that it was P.I., right? Yes, absolutely. It was P.I. No doubt about it. It was P.I. And I love that it was P.I. because it makes it hurt that much worse down in Norman. Now, are you one of these conspiracy people saying that Stoops' foot was out of like there's no way the referee recognized his foot was out of bounds, right? No, that's nonsense. That's that's complete nonsense. Contact was made before that. That has nothing to do with it. No, that's that's conspiracy nonsense. Um, But I went down. And I slowed it down, and I got the numbers, the time on the clock, everything that's going on. So there's 4.53 left on the clock after that play. And somehow, Carson, 4.53 to go. Oklahoma fans, they're 100% sure that they would have won the game had that flag been thrown. That, that's the first problem. That 4.53, not 53, 4.53 left on the clock after that play. Also, exactly. Also, the rule, Carson, I know a lot of people probably think pass interference in the end zone, ball gets placed at the two-yard line. No, 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 not so fast, my friend. OU would have been a little unlucky in that situation. The ball is placed at the two-yard line if pass interference occurs when the initial starting field position on the play is between the opponent's two and the opponent's 17-yard line. That is when the ball is placed at the two. If the ball is from the 18 to the 29, it is half the distance to the goal. If the ball is at the opponent's 30-yard line or further from the goal line, it is a 15-yard penalty. Does that make sense how I explained it? Yes. Okay. I looked that up. I looked up the rules. I wanted to have my stats right. That's the rule. The ball was at the 18-yard line. It would have been half the distance to the goal. So, with 4.53 left, Oklahoma, A, would have had to score from the 9-yard line. There is absolutely no guarantee in that atmosphere with that team that had already put the ball on the ground four times that was clearly affected by the pressure of that moment. There is no guarantee that they can score in that moment. Also, if they do, it's probably going to be with about four minutes left. It's going to be with Oklahoma State having three timeouts left. 
an offense that you have struggled to consistently stop throughout the day. Oklahoma State only put up 27 points. Three times, three consecutive possessions in the second half, Oklahoma State had the ball inside the OU 40 and didn't put two points and didn't put points on the board. Got stopped twice on fourth and one. Ollie threw the pick. Oklahoma State was moving the football effectively. It's perfect weather. Alex Hale's a phenomenal kicker. He would have been good from 55 and in on that day in that moment. OU fans acting like that call decided the game. What, what are you, again, there was not 53 seconds left. 4.53 to go, um, but I love that they have to deal with the pain of the non-call. That makes it hurt so much worse. Um, and and we'll just wave and just say, you know, SEC, you later, you bunch of crybabies. Yeah, I think this is some of your finest work, Colby. You've diagrammed it perfectly. The, the game was not over. And and frankly, if, if you're one of those out there blaming it on that, you're just you're telling everyone that you don't know football, flat out. You just – you don't because – you're just blind. You're just gonna willing to just blame it on the refs, and and people that just blame outcomes on games on refs are losers. That's that's just what it is. And while we're here, if OU fans want to get after officials as the reason they lost, I've got a I've got a greatest hits of calls that have against gone against Oklahoma State. Most of these off the top of my head, Colby. Do you, would you oh, like to hear the list? I want to hear the list. This is going to be fantastic. There's like two or three I can think of. Um, I hope you've got more than that, but I can think of two or three immediately that were big impact calls. Well, my dad tells me, you know, the 1983 team was was honored on Saturday, 40 years. Uh, they just beat OU pillar to post. They had this horrible onside kick that goes off their, their own guy's face mask that OU recovers. They kick a field goal. To, OU kicks a field goal to beat them. My dad tells me that there was some punt interference in that game. OU interfered with the guy returning the punt, and they caused a fumble. I'll go with my dad on that one. I, I wasn't around in 1983. It was a year before I was born, but that's one. Uh, 1988, I've brought it up many times. Garrick Limbrick, the the, the, lineback- or the fullback. Barry Sanders has it to fourth and one. It's going to be fourth and one after his run. They flag him for taunting. And if you go back and watch the video, I mean, he's – kind of in a guy's face but unholy things are said to one another on a football field every single down and they threw a flag and made it fourth and 13 and we all know what happened from there with with brent parker dropping in the end zone should never been there i'm pretty sure osu could have converted a fourth and one with barry sanders jumping over the defensive line don't you i like their chances in that spot carson i really do okay those are two i had to dig for this one i didn't remember it right away 2006 in Stillwater, Zach Robinson dives for the goal line. Ball comes loose. OU recovers. Went back and watched it. The ball doesn't have to cross the entirety of the goal line, as we all know. As soon as that nose of that ball touches any chalk, it's a touchdown. That ball touched the line before he fumbled. You'll never convince me otherwise. That's a touchdown. OSU throws a pass in the end zone that's incomplete to lose. This one sticks in my head, perhaps. It, there's a punt returns are what sticks in my mind the most. Two thousand four. Oh, the punt returns were two of the ones I thought of. They were two of the three that popped in my head. And they are so obvious, it's unbelievable that no flag was thrown. I'm a student in 2004, college game days in Stillwater for the first time. Mark Clayton returns a punt. And to call it clipping would be a disservice to the word assault. It, it looks more like the game NFL Blitz where the guy just dives like a spear, helmet first, 
into the back of the guy trying to make the tackle on Mark Clayton. Punt return touchdown. No call. Everyone, I remember being there. Everyone in the stands was beside themselves how they couldn't throw a flag there. No call. I don't hear any OU fans apologizing for this this run they've gone on through Bedlam throughout the years. 2012, punt return. Jalen Saunders, night game. Clint Shelf, perhaps one of his finest performances. I mean, not quite as bad as the Mark Clayton one, but it looks like an absolute spear from behind on a guy who's in a position to make a tackle. Touchdown. Huge swing in a game when, when OU's offense wasn't that great on, on that day. 2013, this one's almost as bad as Mark Clayton. Jalen Saunders, the guy who's literally standing right in front of Jalen Saunders about to make the tackle gets shoved to the ground from behind. No call. Same yep, I game. I remember that one vividly. I remember 2013 Jalen Saunders vividly. Do what? Is that the one you were thinking of? 2013 Jalen Saunders is one of the ones that I can remember vividly. I could vaguely remember 2012. Uh, but 2013, I could remember that one. And I think you might have one from 2017 on your list too, if if you're thinking of what I'm thinking of. Well, I I wanted to stay in 2013. And maybe it's because this was like probably the ultimate heartbreak game for OSU. I can remember all these plays. There's three things. There's like a couple things that went wrong with this play. The, the Justin Gilbert interception that wasn't. You, Brent Venables wanted offensive pass interference. How about LaColton Bester? draping his hands across the face of Justin Gilbert as he's about to catch the football. That's, to me, offensive pass interference. And there was no review. Justin Gilbert has the ball in his hands. He hits the ground with Bester draped all over him. Like, at that point, it becomes a debate. Did he complete the catch? And then afterwards, is the ball knocked loose? Look, I'm not going to sit here and say it was absolutely an interception but they don't even review it on a play that dis- that could that absolutely decides the game no review no call we all know what happened that game any any qualms with that one no no qualms with that one uh at all i i think are you moving to 2017 now is that what's next absolutely and you know you know what i'm going to bring up first quarter am i right first quarter osu's horrific. up 3 no- was it osu up 3 nothing i believe i think they're up horrific 3 nothing review Carson, horrific. They reviewed it, and and they overturned it. It has to be indisputable. They overturned it. One of the worst reviews I've ever seen in my life. Go ahead and tell the people what we're talking about. They OU is down three nothing. Uh, they throw a little swing pass. I can't remember the name of the running back. I probably should. Abdul Adams. Up. I'll never forget it. It was Abdul Adams. Abdul Adams. He as he makes the catch, he bobbles a little bit, then cradles it with his right arm. He sees a defender coming his way. He switches the ball to his left. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, Colby. Don't you have to have control of a ball to literally swap hands as running backs are taught to do from a very young age? Doesn't that doesn't that quantify possession of a football? He had control. He had control for more than long enough. You'll never convince me that that was an incompletion and not a fumble ever. He fumbles it. OSU runs in for a touchdown to make it ten nothing. As you said, call on the field. Fumble touchdown. It has to be indisputable evidence that it was an incomplete pass. You can watch that a hundred times, and no one with without OU boxer shorts is going to call that an incomplete pass. It's one of the weirdest calls I've ever seen. The and, and Colby, I would even have a easier time accepting it if they 
if it wasn't an overturn. You see what I'm saying? Like the fact they overturned that on top of how bad of a call it was is mind numbing. And that would have put Oklahoma State up 10 to nothing in that game with the place going absolutely bonkers. So that's just off the top of the dome, me being an OSU guy for so long. Like, so were, were we on this podcast blaming that one call on OSU not winning in 2017? No. So I am not here for any of this BS about the, the pass interference. You've already diagrammed it very well with how much time was left on the clock. And if we want to go down the road of Bedlam calls of the past, we can because OU's going to lose that one too as far as who's gotten job often. Uh, yeah, the 2017, like you said, time after time, we see them just come back from replays and go, the call stands, the call on the field stands, the call on the field stands, and they overturn that of everything to overturn. They overturn that. It was shocking in the moment. I still can't believe it now. Uh, back to the one that happened this past Saturday. Carson, OU got the ball back again needing a field goal to send it to overtime. Exactly. They got one first down. They got one first down. I mean, what are we doing here? They got the ball back with a minute and what, 49 to go, a minute 44 to go and a timeout, and they only needed a field goal? They don't cross midfield? They get one first down? Give me a break, as if that call decided the game. Give me a break. It's just, yeah. it, it's it makes them feel better that they can blame someone other than their beloved Brent Venables. Because when Lincoln Riley left them cold in the middle of the night, the last time we broke their program into pieces two years ago, they embraced Brent Venables because he, he was an OU guy. And they love Brent Venables because he was the guy who replaced Lincoln Riley. And they hate Lincoln to their core. So they love Brent just as deeply. And guess what? Brent failed on Saturday night. He failed himself. He failed his team. He failed his fan base. But Carson, they can't accept that. So they blame the officials. You got the ball back down three. You got one first down. Give me a break. Yep. That's that's all we need to say about it. That's that's what it is. And and as we start to wrap up the game and move on to uniform review and toast of the week and some Twitter questions, I did want to finish up with Mike Gundy. You, you've talked about it some on this podcast. I, I called my dad on Sunday on my way back and I thought he put it really well. And I wanted to kind of repeat what he said. He said, he said, Mike Gundy has really, really reinforced his legacy at Oklahoma state. I mean, it was already set in stone. He's already the winningest coach. He is a hall of fame coach. I'm going to keep saying this and until I'm blue in the face. He is a college football Hall of Famer, no doubt. And to make this recovery that he made, and credit to him, like not a lot of coaches would go back and say, I did a bad job to start the year. That's a credit to Mike for saying that, because not very few, you think Lincoln Riley would ever get up there and say that? Hell no. He'd tell you they're close. It, <laughs> agonizingly close is the latest. But to win two out of the last three bedlams, this just absolute 800-pound gorilla that's been just beating him down, on, sitting on his back, to win that two of the last three times, to put this team in the driver's seat for a Big 12 championship after what we watched in September, I mean, you said it best. He's like, he drives you crazy, but you love him. I mean, he's really, really, really established his legacy as one of, forget OSU history, one of the best coaches in the history of college football. I believe he's top three in winning percentage among active coaches behind Saban and I believe Dabo Swinney. That's the list. Uh, Ryan Day, maybe too, but I don't know if he's coached enough games. But point remains, he's one of the best to ever do it. 
I can't say enough good things about how he treated this game going forward on fourth down. Uh, he was aggressive when he had to be. Didn't work out, but what did I say, Colby? I said, we can handle it if it doesn't work out. We're not used to winning this game. We want to see our head coach try to go win it. He did, and I to me, he has really solidified his legacy as one of the best football coaches in, in college football history. He really has. Yeah, I, I mean, I told you last week when we were previewing this game, this is the legacy game for Mike Gundy. This is his chance to change the narrative, to to fix it all, to right all the wrongs in Bedlam. Um, Carson, I turned on Mike Gundy. I did. I turned on him. I said I would fire him. Um, I broke the contract down in the middle of the night. I spent two hours researching all the numbers. I turned on him. He's brought me all the way back in six weeks, all the way back and, and further and further. Um, Saturday was a big, big, big deal. It was a big, big, big deal for Mike Gundy. Um, the way that he's viewed by this fan base, the way he's viewed in media, um, just the way he's viewed by me. And I, I know my opinions, not everything. And I know Mike Gundy probably so, certainly doesn't care uh, what I was saying at the end of September and uh, probably doesn't impact him much that, that I'm, I'm going to show him a ton of love right now. But, you know, it was fire Gundy for me at the end of September. And um, there were a lot of things that led into that end of last season, the off season, uh, the first month of this season. But next time, I hope and I think that I will have the wherewithal to instead of fa saying fire Gundy, say in Gundy we trust. Because what he has accomplished this season since the bye week, taking ownership of what happened in September. We said he did a bad job. He comes out. He's like, look, I did a bad job. I got it all wrong. We're, we're, we're going to do it different. We're going to fix it. And they've done it different and they fixed it. He's made every right call. He's got a team of guys out there dancing together in the end zone before the game. These guys love each other. These guys love him. These guys understand what it means to be an Oklahoma State Cowboy. These guys understood what it meant to be a part of that game Saturday night when they're in the locker room after the game, and there are legends from decades past in that locker room. The 1964-1968 Olympic gold medalist wrestler who wrestled for Oklahoma State, lives in Japan, came over for the game. They put him on the Jumbotron, came over from Japan for the game. This was everything Saturday night. Mike Gundy has made every right move. A and moving forward, it is in Gundy we trust. Um, he's brought me all the way back. I, I don't know. I say I love him, but he drives me crazy. Right now, I just love him. I just love him. That game Saturday, it, it meant so much to him, to the program, to me. Um, I don't care about sports the way I did when I was younger. You know, you get older. I worked in the media for several years. Uh, I've got a family now. I've got a wife. I've got a daughter. I, d I don't have the time. I don't have the bandwidth for sports like I did when I was a kid, when I was in college. Um, and, and your love just gradually fades a little bit over time. But Saturday, man, I cared Saturday. I cared deeply. Um, when OU took the lead to go up 21 to 17, I felt that pit in my stomach that a lot of people probably felt. Um, and I was sitting there head and hands, and, and my wife asked me, and she, she says, are you going to be okay? And I said, no, not if we lose. Uh, I mean, with no hesitation, I said, no, not if we lose. That game was everything to Oklahoma State fans. That game was everything for Mike Gundy. And he stands up there after the game, and he's like, look, I don't need to do it for me. I need to do it for all the guys in that locker room, all the guys from years past, and that's the right thing to say in that moment. But he needed to do it for him, too, and he did. Um, 
and I hope that I have expressed my gratitude for what he's done for Oklahoma State and what he accomplished on Saturday. That's well said. And you just think about, you know, he's he's obviously the front runner for for Big 12 Coach of the Year. Think about where we were in September. And I, more than anything, just the longevity of Mike. Think of how much college football has changed since he took over in 2005. He has evolved his offense multiple generations. Defense is same. He has stood the test of time, and here we are in 2023, and he's in position to win a Big 12 championship. I don't know if there's a greater testament to a coach. You know, and I've said this before, like Gundy's usually pretty far ahead of the times on most things, and I think he's he's realizing, and he, I think he was quoted as saying this, you know, college football coaches are kind of, kind of beating themselves lately with, with field goal decisions, with, you know, the Kansas State coach loses his mind again against Texas. Uh, Mike Gundy stood the test of time for a reason. He's a he's a hell of a coach. Drives me crazy as well. He does you, but I mean, I'm I'm so glad he's the head coach of Oklahoma State and that he's an alum and just where he's taking this program this year is just absolutely sensational. So, any yeah. any other final thoughts before we get to the uniform review and toast of the week? No, like you said, I'm proud that Mike Gundy's the head coach at Oklahoma State. Immensely proud that Mike Gundy's the head coach at Oklahoma State. Yep, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit Uniform Review brought to you by Chris University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I see they were selling some Bedlam shirts uh, about them about them leaving. I can't remember what it said now that I'm trying to do the ad read here, but Chris has got plenty of Bedlam material for you. It's the last one ever. So if, you end, if you're into getting some Bedlam shirts, be sure to shop by Chris's. Colby, what did you make of the uniforms? Uh, they looked great. By the way, I hope the t-shirt said SEC you later. I came up with that off the dome a few minutes ago, and that's a pretty good t-shirt. So, uh, maybe a picture. I don't know what the right picture would be. Maybe Drake Stoops falling out of bounds. Maybe Brent Venables, uh, with veins about to pop out of his head. I don't know, but SEC you later would look pretty good on a t-shirt. Uh, you nailed it, Carson. Black, black, orange. Same thing they wore in 21. They looked great. Um, yeah. I mean, again, they, they nailed it with the uniforms. Been a couple straight weeks of tricolor. You said they're superstitious and they're going to go back to it, and they did. They looked great. They played great. And highlights of, of those two bedlams will be played forever in that black, black, orange. So uh, it's officially an iconic uniform in Oklahoma State history whenever you do it in uh, the last two bedlams at home wearing the same same stuff. You've seen Tombstone, haven't you? Carson, you know every time you ask me if I've seen a movie that I haven't, and uh, this is another one of those times. Oh, my gosh. We'll, we'll just breeze right by that. You know, even with Wyatt Earp on the Jumbotron saying hell's coming with me, you ever watch that? Come on, man. You know, watch I've it seen weekend. that on the Jumbotron about a million times. Yes, I, I couldn't have told you what movie that was from. I learned I was today years old when I learned that that was from the movie Tombstone. Oh, you need to go watch it. it Val Kilmer in that is incredible. Probably the best one of the best acting performances of all time. But the, the reason I bring it up is the shirt just says, well, comma, Bye. And you'll understand that reference. Everyone listening understands that reference. You'll understand once you watch the movie, but it says, well, comma, bye. And it says Bedlam 1904 through 2023. So see you later. Uh, yeah, I thought the unis looked great. Black, black, orange, I think is very underrated. I'm glad they've started to wear that in Bedlam. I think it black and orange is all you need to wear, in my opinion, uh, at home. And it, I thought it looked fantastic. And the curse of Cowboys just, they just look great. The new uniforms look awesome. And, uh, Great look from them. How about uh, Yingling? You ready to do the Yingling Toast of the Week? I'm ready to do the Yingling Toast of the Week. I can't give out a single toast. I've got a bunch of toasts to deal out. Well, people are sad that Bullets and BBs is no more. Maybe we give a toast and maybe we pour one out for the negative play. I don't know. People are yeah, sad about like Bullets that. and BBs. I like that. Toast okay. of the Week and pour one out. We can do that. 
All right. Well, yeah, Yingling, a uh, family-run business, the America's oldest brewery. Be sure to uh, stop at your nearest location. Uh, I've been doing the traditional lager. It's kind of the one they're most known for. Uh, it's fantastic. Still got some left over in the fridge, and uh, I consumed several of those over the weekend down at the down at the lake. So, who's your toast of the week going to this week? Um, I will go. I mean, first of all, first of all, again, Mike Gundy, uh, major toast of the week. He, he reset the narrative on the bedlam stuff. Uh, because when you win the last two at home and when you win the last one, all of those heartbreaking losses, they hurt a little bit less. When you get on social media and all you see is one Sooner fan after another just crying and crying and crying, and they're so pathetic. And Mike Gundy gave us that. And, and again, like I talked about when I turned on him earlier in this season, he's now proven that when it goes wrong and things get bad, it's temporary. We don't have to wonder. He's proven it. If things are bad, wait it out. It's temporary. Mike Gundy gets a toast of the week. Casey Dunn gets a toast of the week. I wanted to start with those two because those were the two that I was the most critical of down the stretch last season and the first month of this season. So I felt they should be the first two that I acknowledged here. Casey Dunn has come out with masterful plans in each of the last five games. They've scored a touchdown on the first drive. Casey Dunn dialed up the right plays in the right moment. How about on the third down where Rashad Owens draws the pass interference call and then uh, Brent Venables comes out and loses his mind and gets penalized? How about the fact that Casey Dunn in a third down inside his 10 drew it up knowing he had man-to-man coverage out there with a bigger receiver on a smaller corner and he just he gave a chance for good things to happen in that moment. Even the first fourth and one call, they get stuffed. It's Ollie. Guy makes a great play coming off the backside, wasn't blocked, trips him up. He comes up just short. I didn't love that you went back to it on the next fourth and one, but he had some other good calls in that game. Earlier in the game on fourth down, um, he was brilliant. He's been great. He He's totally changed the narrative on himself as well. Alan Bowman, we talked so much about him earlier. He cemented his place in Oklahoma State lore with his performance on Saturday. Uh, Ollie Gordon, he, he might win the Heisman, Carson. I don't know. I, I know we're in Stillwater. I know Oklahoma State football doesn't have the big brand. I know people look for any reason to vote for a quarterback. But, I, I mean, I don't know. And who knows if he can do this. He, he's carried the ball about 150 times the last five weeks. Pretty I don't know up. if he can go out in the next three games and rush for 800 yards the next three games. But if he does, man, they're going to have a hell of a time getting that trophy out of his hands in New York. So, Ollie gets a toast of the week. Rashad Owens, uh, I praised him endlessly earlier. He gets one as well. Brennan Presley, he gets one. He's so good. He just has a knack for finding space. And and there was a play, I believe it was on that 97-yard touchdown drive, where he started on the left, he catches a little hitch, and then he cuts in, he goes up, and then he cuts back in, and he goes horizontal, and he just always knows exactly how far to run sideways before he turns it upfield, and he gets the first down. How about the third and 11 play? Oklahoma State doesn't end up scoring on the drive, but the third and 11 play where he jumps up over the defender. He's a smaller guy. Jumps up over the defender's head, catches it, gets down on the ground. He's still three yards short of the first down. He backpedals, 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 gets the first down. He's reliable. You know you can count on him. Brennan Presley gets one. Leon Johnson gets one. The come up from D3, the selflessness. He's now, instead of having uh, 14 months of college football left, you got a month. Enjoy. Give it everything you've got. He came up big whenever they needed him. 
the defensive side of the ball, all the names I listed earlier. But again, I want to single out Dylan Smith and give him a toast of the week. That's a true freshman, man. That is a true freshman. His brother, Cam Smith, you think there aren't a bunch of universities in this conference who would love to have Cam Smith and Dylan Smith. Oklahoma State gets them both. The true freshman goes out, and in his first and only bedlam, he has an interception out of the half, and then he breaks immediately, guards the sticks on the fourth down, the play that, that ended um, that ended Bedlam, essentially. So Dylan Smith gets one as well. Alex Hale, I've got to throw him a, an honorary one. I know they weren't long, but every point matters. Every field goal matters. Oklahoma didn't trust Smith. They had to run him out one time for 50-plus. We knew he wasn't going to make it. He, he put a good leg into it, but, of course, he didn't make it. Um, that's I, I And I'm probably even forgetting some people. Actually, one more. One more, and then I'm done. <laughs> You're out of beer. <laughs> one more. I know. One more, and then I'm done. Yeah, I, I hope everybody was uh, was ready for all these toasts. Oklahoma State fans, my God, the performance Oklahoma State fans put on Saturday night. Carson, it was it was emotional to be in that stadium. It, it's something that you will never forget uh, throughout the game, start to finish. And Oklahoma State fans were smart. It didn't just get loud two seconds before Dylan Gabriel took the snap. It got loud whenever they were trying to communicate with 25 left on the play clock because people knew, okay, this is when they're trying to talk to each other. It, it has turned into such a smart football fan base and such a crazy football fan base. They know when to make noise. When, when everybody's excited and just wants to make noise and Alan Bowman's trying to communicate with his teammates and he puts his hands up and he tells everybody to be quiet, a shush falls over the stadium. It's a smart fan base. Um, and it was just a night, Carson, that was so, so special. It was 60,000 people. And and in that stadium, for those four hours, nothing else mattered except Oklahoma State football. Everybody in our section um, was talking, was high-fiving. You know, my whole family after the fourth down, we came together. We were hugging. We were jumping. We were screaming. It was It was truly a special thing to be a part of. And the Oklahoma State fans who were there on Saturday, um, we all impacted that game we, we absolutely impacted that game Oklahoma lost their composure underneath the weight of Boone Pickens Stadium so the crowd gets a toast as well uh and I think I'm done I think I'm done Carson back to you <laughs> everyone gets a beer and as rightfully so I, I I would like to echo all those those sentiments uh, uh our man Brian Metcalf to your point about Casey Dunn the DEA update uh this offense has an identity and is humming along week over week improvements on total yards total offense rank and points per game the DEA average was 400 yards for game nine. Uh, they put up 481. So that just kind of shows you that things are humming on offense. Uh, my toast is going to go to a long, long, long time nemesis named Squinky. <laughs> I think Squinky, he, you know, Marshall Scott wrote about his 10 thoughts. I, I tweeted this during the game. People got very upset with me that I was like squinky dot, 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 switch sides, question mark after like the, the goofy turnovers they had. Well, something has remarkably changed because those are the things that happened to Oklahoma state. I mentioned the, the onside kick going off. Uh, I think Chris Rockins was his name off his helmet. OU recovers, kicks a field goal. All of the horribly, I'll never forget, I was covering the 2010, or no, it was 2008 Bedlam, where OSU's DB tips it, and Jermaine Gresham just runs underneath it for like 80 yards. Uh, that was that was about as squinky as squinky gets. It really is. I mean, just time and time again, weird things have happened to Oklahoma State, and squinky's been a part of it. Well, 
Squinky realized they're leaving the Big 12. So he said, you know what? To hell with you, Oklahoma. Watch this. And it was nice to be on the receiving end of some Squinky. So here's to you, Squinky. Cheers to you. And uh, thank you for not uh, showing your ugly head against us once again. That's a good one. That's a good one. I'd forgotten that you texted me about Squinky on Saturday night. Um, I texted you and said, yingling for everyone. And you said, is Squinky dead? And I'm like, I think Squinky's dead. I, I, I think we've killed him. That's two out of the last three. You win the last one. You, you win it on a day uh, when your team plays a, a clean football game. Uh, again, Ollie, you're never allowed to throw again. Stop telling me he played quarterback in high school. Yeah, Somebody told done. Mike Gundy that. Somebody told Mike Gundy that in the postgame. Mike Gundy said, yeah, he played the Wildcat. He ran every play. Yeah. He's never allowed to throw again. Um, I think Squinky's at bottom of Theta Pond with the goalposts. Yes, that's exactly. Squinky was on the goalpost, and they threw it into Theta Pond. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Yep. And uh, I got to run, Colby. It's been a long one. Uh, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, pour one out for OU fans. They're having a hard go. Um, they've made a fool of themselves the past couple of days because they don't know how to lose. Uh, the guy who almost got arrested in the first quarter almost got arrested because when our guy went up to retrieve the ball after our first extra point, this guy in OU hoodie was sitting on the aisle. And just like Alan Bowman got shoulder checked into the pads, guy reaches out and elbows the ball boy, knocks him down in the stairwell. So then the police have to go up there and talk to him. He only got a warning. Um, I'm, I'm not so, so sure that he shouldn't have been kicked out. But, um, yeah, just they've made a fool of themselves the past couple of days. Pour one out for them. Uh, other final thoughts, Mike Gundy, uh, well done. Shame on us. Shame on me for doubting you. Things got dark. Uh, we just needed to be patient. You fixed it. Um, well done. Just everybody, well done. That was special. Carson, I know I gave about 18 toasts out. That It, it was really special. It was special to be a part of. Uh, this was a lot of fun recapping it. We'll, we'll probably have to do a rewatch at some point for all the little things that we missed along the way. Yeah, we got some really good Twitter questions. We, I want you to rank next time we get together before the UCF game. I want you to rank your favorite Bedlam wins. I'll do the same. We'll get to the, some of those Twitter questions that we we got, but uh, we went a little long here, as we should. But uh, there'll be more Bedlam debrief, and I, I just want to wrap it up by saying, Colby, it's been a blast doing this podcast with you. You and I have seen a lot of Bedlam games through our years. It's nice to be on the winning end, two out of three. That that doesn't that just doesn't happen. And again. I had a lot of doubts about Casey Dunn. I had a lot of doubts about Charlie Dickey, and I certainly had a lot of doubts about Mike Gundy. Those guys have coached their tails off, and credit to Mike for saying as much, that he didn't do a good job, the staff didn't do a good job. He's brought that team together. They are close, and they are playing really good, sound, clean football, folks. Disciplined, clean football wins games, and that's a hallmark of Mike Gundy football. That's why he wins close games. That's why Oklahoma State won on Saturday. And it's why they're in the driver's seat to win a Big 12 championship. I'm a little nervous about going to Orlando, but Colby, you and I will talk about that next time. Yeah, it feels like a trap game, but we can talk about that later in the week. Uh, you mentioned Charlie Dickey, too. I, I can't believe we made it this far without talking about the offensive line. There was just so much going on that I, I totally forgot to bring them up. They deserve a toast, too. Just they've turned it around. They're tough. Jason Brooks goes out again with a knee injury. Hope he's all right. Other guys just fill in. It, it's really been incredible. Uh, yeah, and Carson, this this podcast is a blast. It's special as well. I enjoy doing this. I love all of our listeners. Um, I love getting to, to see people who listen to us uh, and love what we do whenever I'm at the games in Stillwater. And, yeah, it's just an absolute blast. Uh, I tweeted yesterday that I hope nobody takes pistolsfiringblog.com for granted. Imagine what 
Oklahoma State athletics, not even just football, but Oklahoma State athletics coverage would be in this state without PFB. Um, so if you're not frequenting that site, if you're just listening to the pod, please do, because they work really hard. They grinded Saturday night, all day yesterday, uh, and again today, getting all of that Bedlam content out. So great work, Carson. Great work, Marshall. Great work for the entire team. Appreciate everyone for listening. We're back later in the week. As always, as the defending um, I guess I say defending. <laughs> it's not it. defending. It's final. Keep milking it. It's not. It's not final. As the final Bedlam champions, go Pokes.